Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God had, has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Thank you, Abby. Good morning, everybody. If we haven't uh, met yet, my name is Johnny, one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you. How many got to check out the fair this past week? You know, some of you, right? And if you took my advice, hopefully some of you got the Madison fish sandwich, right? And your life has been changed, correct, right? And it's been good. Um, but before preaching time, or teaching time, uh, I do want to take a moment again, uh, as I'm sure many of you are aware, just uh, with the news and things that are going on in Israel and, and uh, the, the war that's kind of broke out between Israel and Hamas and just a lot's happening there, right? Lots of different things going on there. And so I just want to take a moment to, to again to, to this morning. And um, if you know me, I, I've used this app called Lectio 365 and uh, Pete Gregg has a, had a great some things that are, are we're, we're able to see through uh, these things, right? We get to see uh, what's happening. And so I want to take a moment, and uh, I'm sure for some of us that's a heaviness that we're experiencing. Maybe there's some fear there. And uh, I just want to take some time to pray together. Are we good with that before we jump in? So let's just do that. And I'm going to just, uh, I'm going to give some space just, again, I don't want this to just to me to be, to be praying. Uh, it's for all of us to then pray together. So he, he gave this first prayer prompt to, to take a moment to pray for those who are grieving. So Lord, we just take a moment. So we take all the, the different folks that are impacted by what's going on, both, um, Lord, what, what Hamas did to, to, to those uh, on the Israeli side, taking individuals captive and kidnapping and the death that's gone through the rockets. Lord, we, we pray for those that are grieving. Jesus, you instruct us to mourn with those who are mourning. So just right where you're at, just, we're going to take a moment. Would you just take a moment to pray for those that are grieving? And then on the other side, in response to the Hamas attack, you know, trying to, to eradicate and do that, obviously there's been civilians and different groups that have been also impacted, have also been caught in the, in the midst of that. And so we want to also pray for those that are grieving, these innocent civilians who are caught in the middle and who are impacted. So we take a moment to pray again for those that are grieving. We know the promise that says, God, you are near to the brokenhearted. And even this past week, there's been an obvious escalation, and uh, we pray right now specifically for a de-escalation, that there would be a de-escalation in the tension that's going on there, and both with the neighboring countries. Would, would there be a de-escalation, a way forward where instead of things ramping up, that things would begin to scale down? So we pray, Lord, for peacemakers to come, both 
on all sides, they would come to the realization that they, they need to move towards peace, not death. I'm not sure what that looks like. I'm not a geo, I'm not an expert in what that means, but Lord, we just humbly ask that that place would move towards peace and less destruction. God, we, that leads us to our third prayer. Where there be peace. Where there be active and effective peacemaking at the international political level. And Lord, we also just pray finally that for us who are kind of just witnessing this, this is also a prayer for them, but also a prayer for us, of all the different things that are coming at us. May it not uh, move us and, and, and shape us into people of fear and worry, but that we would seek first your kingdom, Jesus, and your righteousness. Would we commit to just praying for that situation, to ongoing to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it, is in, as it is in heaven. And Jesus, we look to your vision of what that's like. So Lord, I pray in the midst of all this, um, we seek you. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for, for doing that with me. I know that's kind of the heaviness. Um, I'm gonna, I started off with the heaviness, but I'm going to go light. Is that okay? Can we just jump from heavy to light real quick? Okay. So um, to start off my teaching this morning, uh, show uh, for junior and seniors, uh, specifically the guys, uh, and. Uh, and when you're somebody like me who doesn't have a lot of talent, like singing-wise, you, you get creative uh, based off of that. And so my friends and I, we typically look to Saturday Night Live to get some ideas and do some reenactment of some of those uh, skits. And so my junior year, uh, so friends and I, we decided to do a reenactment of an SNL skit that in involved uh, Garth Brooks and Will Ferrell. And the title of this little scene was called The Devil Can't Write No Love Song. All right, and uh, so what it is, is Garth Brooks' character, he's a, he's a down and out mu musician, he's trying to make it big. And he, he says this statement, he goes, I'll sell my soul to the devil if I could write a hit song. And so in this scene, uh, Will, Fer Will Ferrell uh, suddenly appears and you know, tries to give him a hit song so then he can make it big, all right? But the scene plays out, and, the, and here's the, the truth that that was pretty comical, is that the devil really doesn't have any musical talent as well, and so he tries to give him these songs to play on, and it kind of fails, and then the devil, uh, you know, isn't able to make up his end of the deal. So again, this is the scene, and so I played that guy, all right? So... Um, I dressed up in, you know, painted myself red, horns, the whole nine yards. I had, like, skin-tight leather pants, you know, I don't know why, uh, but, and a leather jacket. And uh, this is where it gets interesting, okay? Um, so one of the teachers at Fairfield Union, you know, we, we had this nice little love-hate relationship, and so she was organizing this whole 
uh, thing and, you know, determining what goes first in the order. And so she decides, uh, so I had another friend who was also a part of this Mr. Fabrinini who, who, um, who could sing. And so he decided to do uh, a sing, like a solo and a choreographed thing to I can only imagine right before I played this. Does that make sense? So you went from a guy having this nice, touching, uplifting, you know, singing about heaven, and then directly after that, me coming on dressed like Satan. All right? Do you guys, you know, get the picture? All right, so let's just say I didn't win Mr. Fairfood Union. Um, I'm sure my parents were like, what have we done? You know, we've just failed uh, miserably. It's okay, you know, I guess it worked out, you know, uh, I'm a pastor, I guess it evened out, but who knows. Um, so why am I bringing up this story? Not just because it's funny, I also want to uh, kind of do a segue from last week. Last week and this week are going to kind of uh, come together, but I actually want to look at, sorry, did I just lose me? We good? Speaking of the devil. Um, how about now? No? Nothing? There we go. Move this way? Okay. Anyways, what I was saying was, right, uh, this, we're, we're looking at a segue from last week. And last week, we looked at how Jesus viewed the, viewed the Scripture and how Jesus, how, what, what it meant for him that this, the, this Bible, the Scripture, was the authority over what story he lived into. And so to take a, a little more like a part two of this, we're going to actually first think about the role of the devil, the, the, the role Satan actually plays in our life, not just in our world, but in our life, in the influence that he has. There's a great C.S. Lewis quote that says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to believe in their, ex one is to disbelieve in their existence, the other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So right, we're Halloween, right, there's some unhealthy interest in some things when it comes to this, but I think for us as a church, I think many of us can fall into this idea of we don't actually think about the role of Satan, the role of devil, the role that he plays in our life, and Jesus actually talks a lot about it. And so for that, I kind of want us to, to start there, and then what does that mean for us? Because again, to Jesus, the devil and his role and his influence, it was very real, right? He wasn't just this kind of mythological creature with tight leather pants and a leather jacket, uh, that he was, had a real influence over people's lives. And I want to just, I want to, I'm going to share a few verses out of John 8. I, I'd love to break down John 8, but um, I just don't have time. But John 8, Jesus is, is talking to these Pharisees, and Jesus is talking about who he is. And at one point, the Pharisees even ask, who are you, Jesus? And so Jesus begins to explain to them who he is, and in this interaction, many pe people actually believe in him as the Messiah, as the Christ. And John 8 says this, and then Jesus tells him, if you continue in my wor word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so this is Jesus' idea, right? If you continue in my words, he's telling them, right, if you stay in that, you're, it's going to lead to freedom, but in the same interaction, there's these religious leaders, these Pharisees, they go, wait, 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 we're, 
we don't need to be freed. We've never been enslaved by anybody. We're, we're good. And Jesus goes, whoa, whoa, hold on. If you, if you commit a sin, you are enslaved. And, and, and Jesus makes this pretty bold statement. He goes, you do what you hear from your father. So stick with me. So then, then it becomes this interaction of, like, who's your daddy, okay? So there's this, this interaction. And Jesus says, I'm doing what I, what I see my father doing. You do what you hear your father doing. And they go, well, our father's Abraham. And then they go on and, and, and explain. And then they, they go, no, well, our father is God. And Jesus is like, well, if that's your father, then you would love me. But you guys don't love me. You're trying to kill me. So God's not your father. And then he says this to them, all right? And you wonder why Jesus got killed. He says to them in verse 44, he says, you, of, you are of your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus, he's telling these folks, right? You think you have the father of Abraham. You think God's your father, but here's the reality. You're doing what you hear your father's doing, and guess what? Your father, he pulls out the Mary Povich envelope and says, the devil is your father. Some of you, all right, thank you, all right? I mean, but this is more of the comical, right? He is, he's, he's, he's saying this, again, to religious leaders, to people who are spending their lives learning the scriptures, yet they've missed it. And so it all goes down to Jesus, how their view of Jesus, and that dictates, again, who their father is. Again, so to Jesus, the, the devil is real. And as you read in here, his goal is to bring what? Death. He was a murderer from the beginning. And John 10, he says, right, the thief comes. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And the method of his death, the way he tries primarily to bring about death into our lives is through lies. He makes this statement. There is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. Now, I'd love to do a whole series on this and talking about lies. I got one shot, all right? But if you want to, you can, there's a great book what I call, it's called, from John Mark Comer. It's called Live No Lies. But he sums it up this way. I'm going to put it on the screen here. But he says, the problem is not so much that we tell lies, it's more that we live them. We let false narratives about reality into our bodies, and they wreak havoc in our soul. He sums it up this way, the devil's goal is to first isolate us, then implant in our minds deceitful ideas that play to our disordered desires, which we feel comfortable with because they are normalized by the status quo of our society. Specifically, he lies about who God is and also about who he is, who we are and what the good life is with an aim to undermine our trust in God's love and wisdom. His intent is to get us to seize autonomy from God and redefine good and evil for ourselves, thereby, thereby leading to the ruin of our souls and our society. So for some of us, I mean, can you think about just if you've been enslaved to a particular sin, can't you look back and go, it was rooted in a lie. It was rooted in a lie that I, I chose to believe about myself or about God, about what other people is, or what even the good life is. I can, I can look back and just see 
in my upbringing, and even just in things as I entered into college, of what the good life is as Ohio State student, right? Or just what the good life is, what this is all about, or what God's all about, or about us as, as they began teaching, you know, just, uh, I, I went through several, you know, biology, biology and, and evolution classes, just trying to, like, get this idea of just trying to understand who God really is, who Jesus is, trying to catch that bait of a lie that gets then normalized and everything. And, that, and that's the hard part. So what I'm going to talk to you briefly, again, I, I wish I could do a whole series on this, and maybe it'll happen. But the, the question for us, especially for those, whether we're, we're with Jesus or we're considering Jesus, is to see how do we overcome these lies? How do we live in more into the freedom that God offers us, right? Not in the enslavement of lies that, that are over us. And I think there's just a, real quick, before we jump back into the scriptures, I think there's this element that we first need to understand is that it's going to be uncomfortable. Does that make sense? Because, right, in all these lies, it plays onto our desires, and it's also normalized in some culture. So someone's going to not only tell us, not only is it going to be something within us that goes, yes, this is what I want, but then you're going to have people that are going to be around you that are also going to say, oh, yeah, you should have that. And, and what, what I'm going to just warn two, two different areas, two different things that can get us is, is both, uh, I guess, a world without God, would, would, what Jesus would say would be the pagan or the Gentile worldview is this aspect of no truth. I think uh, a, a life apart from God or anything of God's ways, right, you're going to, there's plenty of things that have been normalized in that culture, correct? That are just, oh, it's okay, whatever this is. And a lot of times there's a story behind that. But on the, also on the other side, there's a culture around self-righteousness and religion, Right? that can also get normalized and not make it about Jesus. And here's the thing, if we make it about Jesus, we're, gonna, we're not gonna be normal. When you elevate Jesus and his life, no wonder he says, right, you're not gonna fit in. You're going to be, uh, in many cases, right, if, 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 you've been per if I'm gonna be persecuted, guess what? You're gonna be persecuted. So if you make it about Jesus and make it about him and the life he offers, you're going to find yourself not fitting in, and it's going to get uncomfortable. And we got to be okay with that. So that means we need to require us to approach this with some humility and openness. Some, this idea of like, I don't trust myself to think what I need to think, right? I need, I need an outside source. Luckily, we have the scriptures that can point us to Jesus and this life he has. So here we are in Romans 12. If you have your Bibles, which I don't know if you knew this, we have these little baskets somewhere scattered throughout. If you don't have a Bible, um, if you forgot your Bible, if you need a Bible, take it. Uh, that's your gift. Have it. But just I want you to understand that if you forget your Bible or if you don't want one, we have some of those in the, in the baskets um, and we encourage you to do that. So here we are in Romans 12, verses 1 through 3. And, and first Paul, the first word uh, Paul says in this letter is, therefore... Again, I don't have a whole lot of time, but it's really the summation of, of chapters 1 through 11, all of, of, of what Romans is all about. And again, it's a little bit of piggyback of, of last week. It's, it's the summation of the gospel story. It's the summation of what Jesus has done for us. And then now because of that, therefore, this is how I want you to live it out. This is the story I want you to live out. Okay? So therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. So there's a lot to unpackage here. We're going to focus on mainly verse 2. This idea of not being conformed to this age or some of your, your uh, translations to this world. This word of, of uh, conformed, it's, it's the image of an outside pressure pressuring you and molding you into some kind of image. So again, what, what, our, what it's saying is this age, the things of this age, the things of this world. It's like if you have kids, you understand Play-Doh and, and the role that Play-Doh has with different molds is this outside pressure trying to pressure you into some kind of image. So you can live that way of being pressured by, by the outside, uh, outside circumstances and the outside worldview and being pressured into being something else. But, but Paul isn't saying you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we have conformed but transformed. Can I, I've nerded out a little bit on this so I won't get too much into it. But when he says be transformed, it's a command, but it's a passive command. It means that it's something done to you, which this transformation is affected by God, but the imperative part means we have a part, a responsibility. We have to cooperate with God in order for that transformation to come. Does that make sense? So it's not just like, go change. It's actually position yourself, cooperate with God to be transformed into more of his likeness. Again, freedom from those lies that we're living. And you do that by renewing your mind. That, that word renewal means it's completing a process, meaning make fresh, new. It's taking, just take, take a, something that's dead, like a dead plant, right? Which in our house, we have quite a few of those inside. Um, but imagine, you know, it's my fault, not my wife's. Anyway, um, but imagine that plant, that deadness, and then you, you watering it and feeding it. It's, it's that renewal of that plant coming back to life. This is this image of this renewal, and it takes place by the renewal of our mind. And so here's the end goal. So Jesus says that you have a part, your part to play is the renewal of your mind, and the end goal, the reason you do that is now, because of that, if you go through that renewal process, it says you will be able to discern, which means to test or to wrestle with, to get to a conclusion, what is good and pleasing and perfect will of God? See, the point here, again, by renewing of, our, of the mind, and as one commentator, being exposed to and embracing the teachings of the scripture that will enable believers to test for themselves and approve of what God expects of them. I'm going to say something, and I'm, I'm trying to do this with nuance, because uh, I think it requires some nuance. Because there's some things in our life that when we try to make a decision on of what, what is God's will or not, like there's some things that are pretty clear in here, right? To, to do. To love our neighbors. To love God. To do these certain things. But I don't know if you've ever been in this position. There are some things that it doesn't quite speak into and it could be hard to know what God wants you to do. You guys ever been in those situations? Like with, with, with how to do stuff with work or career or just certain things. It, it could, it, even how to like, 
uh, you know, it doesn't talk anything about, like, dating, right? If you're, if you're a young person, you're trying to think through, how do I do this? It, it can be difficult to look in here because it doesn't speak directly to these things, right? They didn't have smartphones back then, right? So it doesn't give us a list of commands or things to think through or how to process. But here's the point where Paul is saying and instructing us. It means we can't rely on this, only looking at this as a list of commands to do. Because there's going to be a whole lot, we're going, to, we're going to be struggling to figure out what do I do and feel like, well, I guess I can't bring God into that. But what, what Paul is saying is if we do this process of, of just continually, I'm going to get into a practical matter, but if we get to the heart of this in this continual practice of renewing our minds, cooperating with the scriptures, we'll actually get to a place where that word, again, discern, to test. We can actually take these things and we actually process them with scriptures to then figure out, okay, what is pleasing to God? You follow me? And it can help us um, to do that. And then we will know, based on that, what is good and pleasing and perfect. And so how do we do this? How do we renew our minds? How do we, how do we change and renew our minds to, again, to have that freedom to be able to know and discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect? Dallas Willard, uh, I quote him often, but he says this, See, the most important thing about you is your mind. The most important thing about your mind is what it's fixed upon. The ultimate freedom we have as individuals is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon and think about. You guys with me? You guys getting that? This is like the whole point of this, is we actually have a freedom to choose what our minds will be fixated on and pointed towards. We have, a ch- we have a choice. What are we going to allow our minds to be directed towards? And so he gives this instruction in Colossians 3. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I could spit off scripture after scripture after scripture. It's this idea of fixing our minds. It's, it's dwelling our minds. It's, it's using our minds, taking the choice and the freedom we have and directing that to truth, to the scriptures. It's allowing our minds to be shaped by this, not by lies, desires, the way of the world. You guys with me? And this is what we, have, we are called to live out, is, is, is um, fixing our minds, using that freedom to do that. And uh, I don't know about you, um, this is something for me, I have to kind of work on all the time, and I, and I have a sense for many of you, it's, it's this idea, uh, is we have certain soundtracks in our minds, don't we? There's certain stories we tell ourselves over and over again, whether it's, again, about God, about us, about others, about the world we live in, the life Jesus has, is we have these soundtracks that are playing in our mind. In some of these soundtracks, all right, whatever they do, they have power. Again, it's a story we tell ourselves, and if we continue to live into that soundtrack, um, it'll decide, again, just much like Jesus Jesus told us, that's what's going to lead to the behaviors that we live is whatever you listen to, that's going to lead to the behaviors that you live. And so for many of us, we have to kind of rewrite the stories that we tell ourselves, that we tell ourselves about God, 
So I'm going to go through these, just give some practical ones, and maybe these are some that you struggle with, then it's not just me. Like sometimes you find yourself when life is not going great, something bad happens, you know, just sometimes you have a soundtrack that goes, like, God, where are you at, man? Like, why did you let this happen? Like, and sometimes you can, anybody else blame God sometimes for some of your troubles? But again, that can be a soundtrack that you can let play in your head, that God's abandoned you, God's left you, God's not with you. So guess what? You, you can choose, am I going to live into that and set my mind on that, or can I get a, a different soundtrack? Can I get a different story? The scripture point to a different story? Obviously, it's very clear, right? Psalm 23, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Like that you're even with me in the midst of the hardest times. God is for, God's for me. So I can start living into that story because it's based in truth, not in the story or the soundtrack that tries to pull me away from God. Or how about yourself, how you see yourself and your identity? You know, I, I've, I've talked to some people, and they've, they've, the way they see themselves, for some of them, they don't feel worthy of love. That, that because of, of who they are or, or um, maybe some things that they've done, they've had this soundtrack that says, I am not worthy to be loved. That either I have to be, I have to fix who I am, I have to change who I am, I'm not worthy of love. Just even think about the stories, the, the things that, that get played in your head when it's, when it's to people who don't think like you or live differently than you. Those who are your enemies. There's some different soundtracks going on, right? How about your spouse? <laughs> There's some different ones probably going on there. Um, but how, how do you interact with, with the soundtracks that you're playing and how does that role that you play? And so again, we have the power to choose the story we live into. And my, my encouragement is, whatever those stories you're telling yourself, to, to get present to those and then go, is this truth? Is this reality that God is painting? And I know for me, even uh, uh, last year, it was, it was a season where I, had to, I, had, I spent some time with a counselor to, to help me process some of the stories I was telling myself. And, and go, and one of the things, she, she said, you have to go through and you have to basically write out the story that's going on in your head. You have to write it out, give all the evidence, and then go, is this true? Is this what God would say? Can you validate it with this? And then you write a new story. And you say, this is what God's saying. This is what God's inviting me into. And I'm going to choose as best as I can to live in what God has, not this story that's trying to bring about death into my life. And so I'm going to give you some practical things. Uh, again, throughout this series, uh, we've given you some different ways of this practice of engaging, engaging scripture in your discipleship or your transformation. So uh, a couple weeks ago, Phil talked about Lectio Divina. Last week, I talked about the, just the importance of studying scripture. And this week, I'm going to talk about um, just, there's kind of two practices, but they're kind of the same. And it's the importance of memorizing and meditating on scripture. Now, again, if you hear all these practices, I don't want you to be like, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. You're having me do all this Bible stuff. Like, I get it. I need to do more, Johnny. I get it. But that's not the heart, right? It's, these are invitational things and in how Scripture can be formational for you. And what I like about memorizing and meditating, and it, it's all about, again, fixation 
and filling our mind. It's fixing, it's bringing that attention above, but it also fills our minds uh, with the things of him. Uh, a book that I, I'm also reading, again, it comes from that quote I said earlier by Dallas Willard. It's called Life Without Lack. He says, memorization is an essential element of, of a life without lack. Is that primary way we fill our minds with the word of God and have our thoughts formed by God's thoughts. Memorizing scripture is even more important than a daily quiet time. That's interesting, right? For as we fill our minds with great passages and have them readily available for our meditation, quiet time takes over the entirety of our lives. Memorization enables us to get God and his truth. Hello? We good? Am I on? All right, here we go. And his truth constantly before our minds, allowing his word and wisdom to help us. And so there's this element of memorizing scripture, the need to memorize it. But more than memorize it, there's an aspect of meditating on it. It's meditating on the scripture. Now, I know there's different ways of looking at meditation, but meditation in the scripture, specifically Christian meditation, is more about filling than emptying. You guys with me? Some, some, some see meditation as this way to empty ourselves, but, but Christian meditation is all about filling our, both our hearts and minds. In terms of Bible reading, meditation is the practice of entering into the text by reading and rereading it out loud, allowing it to speak to us in such a way that we listen and truly hear it. I want you to hear again. It says, we fix and order our minds around the text, reading and rereading until key words, phrases, and ideas jump off the page at us. Then we chew on these words and ideas and to begin to form questions that lead us to, into a deeper reflection. This causes us to slow down and experience the text in a way that affects our hearts and minds with the love of God. So if you, if you don't do this or you've never done this, um, I, I'm a little biased, but I think Psalm 23 is one of the, the best uh, scriptures just to memorize and just ruminate in your heart. Because again, it just helps paint a story into who God is, the life he has for us, and then even its role of just the, our enemies. So if you've never done that, if you haven't looked at Psalm 23, I mean, for some reason, that's the only scripture we say, and it's at funerals, you know? Make it a part of your life. Just get it in there. It's, I think Psalm 23 is great. The other one I would encourage you is, uh, uh, again, I think as followers of Jesus, I'm going to say this primarily, as followers of Jesus, we need to do this with the Sermon on the Mount. You know, this is Matthew 5 through 7. These are Jesus' core teachings. And so for us as followers of Jesus, it's, 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 again, it's chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's three chapters. We got to, I mean, you don't have, that's a, I'm not telling you to memorize it, all right? I'm causing you to meditate on it, reread it over and over again. This is this kingdom life that Jesus is inviting us into. And so that should be a regular source of us to, to meditate on that.